The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Now, we're talking all about hydrogen today. We're delving into an innovative company, which is essentially building hydrogen vehicles. The company, not yet listed, yet, of course, being the operative word here, but we'll delve into that as well. I'm joined now by the CEO of H2X, Brendan Norman. Great to have you back with us, Brendan. Great to chat. Yeah, thanks again, Ariel. Nice to see you again also. Now, for those of you, for those of our listeners, rather, who were not with us for our previous conversations, Brendan, talk to us about the journey of H2X and, and how you got here today, because you were registered as a business in Australia only last year. Yeah, we registered last year, but we'd actually been working on what we've been doing for quite a long time. We originally, myself and some of the co-founders started a business back in 2016, uh, which was based in Wuhan in China. That's where we we started to work on what we were doing in terms of building different sort of vehicles for different hydrogen applications. And then as things changed, and also as obviously the world changed with the events of 2019, we started to look at how we could improve on things. And we saw that Australia was a good place for us to start up what we thought was a pretty good idea at starting the revolution to start revolutionising Australia, being able to participate in the next um, industrial revolution for the the growth of um, hydrogen as the new energy source. Now you are um, you've been, you've been in the car world in the automotive industry for some time. So you've held senior management roles at BMW, Volkswagen, Audi. Lived all over the world. Is that why? Is that the link between hydrogen, car manufacturing, fuel cells? Yeah, for us, that's pretty much been how we've started it. We've sort of focused on the ability to deliver cars and deliver vehicles that we think are applicable to the market. And then we've seen certain challenges or certain opportunities where we can put vehicles in there that can then start to address those um, potentials for the potential car buyers as time goes on. There's still a bit of futurism in terms of that. There's a couple of years until we see the real blowout of these products, but now's the time to start developing them. And now's a good time to try and put Australia on the map as somewhere that can lead that sort of development. So for the layman amongst us, Brendan, what does it really mean when you say a hydrogen vehicle? So what it means is instead of putting uh, either petrol into the vehicle or putting electricity into the battery, it means that we put hydrogen from a gas storage into the vehicle. It's then processed through the fuel cell, which which then makes energy, which is then processed through the wheels and so on into the road to push the car along. So whereabouts are you on this hydrogen journey? Um, you know, how far are you? Obviously, you, you launched your ute last year. Um, so, so whereabouts is H2X right now? Well, as a team, we've done quite a lot of vehicles, particularly in China. There was a number of vehicles that were put out by various parts of the group in various activities. 
As far as H2X is concerned, we've at the moment, we've got a couple of vehicles which we're working on at the moment, which will be re released very shortly. We've obviously got a few timing issues and there's been some fun in terms of getting all of the parts to arrive at the same time in the same area. Um, we've got a couple of our units which are providing um, energy, which are more energy uses. We've got um, generator sets which are operating. We've got a couple of them in play and there's a couple of other units we've started work on as well. So how, how far are you to, towards getting essentially cars on the roads, hydrogen cars on the roads? The way we're looking at it at the moment is that we see that we'll probably have about 30 vehicles on the road by the end of this year. That's the target that we've got at the moment. Um, obviously, there's a fair bit of logistics that we have to take care of in terms of that because the logistics of the world at the moment are a little bit complicated. Um, but that's what we see in terms of having out at the moment. And then we see a bit of a growth into next year. We'll probably get up to about 250 vehicles and then grow from there onwards. So the Warrego Ute, um, the extended range is, is about to launch. As I said, you mean, you launched that last year. Um, tell us specifically about this 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 car. Um, how what what's that at now? What number is that at now? And and tell us a little bit about the features of the car. Yeah, we have a number of orders that are still sort of climbing for that vehicle. The ability for us to produce them in the long term is something that we have to watch because in 2024, we have the, um, the delivery van of, of our product. And then that starts to create a bit of a crossover because there'll be a bit of a price difference with that one that will make it a little bit cheaper. So some of the customers are probably going to delay into that one, but we've still got a lot of orders for the other one. The idea about the Warrego is, of course, it's an opportunity for us to showcase what we can do in terms of the powertrain. It's it's based on an existing unit, which is then converted from, a, from another company. So it's not fully showing off what we can do in terms of the development of the vehicle, but it does give people the opportunity to see the vehicles in operation. There are some companies or countries where the vehicle is heavily subsidized. So we will see a number of vehicles go outside of Australia rather than stay in Australia. And of course, the development of hydrogen being available at the gas stations in Australia is still, there's still a bit of work to be done there as well. So the number of vehicles we can actually put on the road at the moment is restricted, but that'll change as we get more into the start of next year as we see a few more gas stations start to open up and then a bit of more of an opportunity for us to put more vehicles on the road. I know you've seen a specific interest in the from you know the rural, the regional sector, uh, certainly in Australia um, for this, but the, the issue is something that you've just pointed out and that is the lack of fueling stations. Uh, how soon do you think it will be before we get enough fueling stations on the road for you know people in regional Australia to be able to drive these hydrogen vehicles? Yeah, that's always been a bit of a concern of ours in terms of how it's going to go ahead. But in talking to a number of people who are working on hydrogen projects and so on, we see that towards the end of next year and 2024, there's a number of projects which will be kicking off. There's, of course, the project with um, New South Wales and Victoria and Queensland to have the superhighway, which will offer hydrogen. That's a, start, a good starting point. And then there's a number of other regions which are also looking at putting in refueling stations that will come. For us, we realistically think that 2024 is when there'll be a decent amount of stations. We will start to deliver more and more vehicles. But once people see that happening and start to see that the technology is something that's readily accessible, we expect that there'll be a lot more stations start to pop up pretty quickly after that. So how does Australia then compare to where we are around the rest of the world? Just before we started recording, you were talking about the fact that you'll be heading to Vietnam shortly to, to sort of cement a JV there or hopefully cement a JV 
um, there. How far ahead are we or behind are we in terms of moving these hydrogen vehicles forward? I think in terms of Australia, there's lots of plans for things to be moving, which is obviously a good sign. Um, and that's something which obviously looks good in the future. However, at the moment, when we look at places like Europe, there's a number of stations in Europe where we can very quickly deploy right now. And that's obviously exciting for us to focus on where those activities are in Europe, particularly places like the Netherlands. And there's a number of activities in the north of Europe, Germany, um, UK and other countries are really pushing forward with um, a lot of plans which are already on the ground there. So that's obviously very good. And then we've got places like Malaysia, um, obviously, there's um, uh, Korea uh, and Japan that have already invested in um, hydrogen networking. And that's also something which is very exciting because they're already operational and they've already got the stations in place as well. Do you have vehicles on the road in those countries that you just talked about? We're working heavily at the moment. We're working in um, Malaysia, which is an area that we've really focused on. So we're working on a number of vehicles at the moment to put out. We've got a number of vehicles that are in, in process of being built right now. Um, they'll be out towards the end of the year on the road, which is quite exciting. Um, nor, with, with Japan and Korea, of course, there are strong local players, so it's a bit harder up there, but we are looking at what we can do there. And but particularly in Europe, we've got a lot of focus there. The, um, the, the pickup, the Warrego, has got a very strong focus on North Europe, in particular with Holland. So we're focused there and we're developing it there as well with part of the development that we're doing. So we see that as really good opportunities for us to push forward. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about your most recent news. You've signed an MOU um, with one of the cities in Sweden on a joint hydrogen vehicle initiative. Um, talk to us about the bus and the garbage truck there. Yeah, we've, we've got a couple of different activities up there and um, we're, we're moving more on purchase agreements than MOU. So it's, it's becoming something which will be really delivered to customers uh, early next year. What we've got there is there's a program with a with a, a, a garbage truck company. They're looking at a very large number of vehicles to be converted over a number of years, uh, which will start next year. And obviously every step forward is a, another step to getting the next vehicles on the road. Um, that's a really exciting one because we've then we've already set up the factory up there. That factory is, um, has gone live already. We've um, started hiring the new team into that location already, which is also very exciting, of course. And what it means is that we've got the opportunity there to deliver really into the hundreds and thousands of units every year um, with the outlook that we've got um, within the next, I'd say, three years, we'll be up to about a thousand units going out of there already. Uh, it doesn't sound like a lot, but in terms of the context of the growth of hydrogen, it is a pretty exciting sort of a number. So we are very excited about what we've got the opportunity to do up there. Now, one of the other partnerships, I suppose, that you're doing is with KTM Technologies. Um, so this is for your light trucks, your vans, your pickup trucks. You know, so we're talking a, a range of vehicles, not just the Warrego. You, you'd, of course. What does this partnership mean? Because obviously, you know, when we're talking about this new type of vehicle, new technology and staying ahead of the technology is, is, is all important. So where does this partnership with KTM fit in? And how do you move forward on the self-drive vehicles or the sharing economy? 
What we've always focused on, particularly with the um, partners, um, or, or particularly with the activity we're looking at with KTM, we believe that the vehicles, they need to be built a little bit differently to the way that existing vehicles are built. And that's taking into consideration the use of composites in the body, making the vehicles lighter, using composites which are recyclable so that the materials that are going into the vehicle are recyclable and coming from clean sources in the first place. And what that means is that we're able to put together a group of vehicles which will handle the use of hydrogen a lot better than some of the existing vehicles which have been converted. So we see that as very exciting. Where KTM come into it, they've got a specialization in terms of what they've done with a number of different vehicle companies in the past with um, lightweight materials. They're a, a real specialist at that. So they've been supporting us in developing, particularly starting out with the delivery van, which of course is our first really fully developed vehicle. So they've been supporting us with the development of that. We've just finished the crash test and the crash tests have turned out really, really well for us in the way that we've developed it. So we've got some really good processes in terms of making um, really high-tech vehicles that work in a different right way that are a lot more efficient to build as well, which is also very important and something that probably hasn't been looked at as much as it should be, which will really help us to start pushing forward in making you know cleaner and greener vehicles, but also making those vehicles a lot more efficient than otherwise just putting the hydrogen cells in, but actually making a vehicle which is fully developed around that. And then that leads to the replacement for our, our existing pickup. We'll have a new pickup coming in the um, next four or five years, which will be on that new platform. And then as we start to move into passenger vehicles, it'll obviously take the benefits of that platform as well. Mm, mm, absolutely. Now, one of the issues that um, many companies around the world, not just in the auto industry, are facing, but, but other industries as well, is supply chain issues. You know, obviously, this started off, and this is something we discussed last time we, we got together, um, the supply chain issues that came as a result of COVID. But it's not only that now. Obviously, the pandemic, um, the concerns over the pandemic have certainly started to ease. Borders are opening up. But now we have Russia-Ukraine and the conflict uh, there. And that's having an impact on, on prices, of course, but also supply chains in, in a, a certain way too. What sort of impact are you seeing from that conflict? Uh, there's a number of issues that we've sort of faced as a result of that, aside from obviously the terrible impacts of what are happening with that. We've um, had to focus on some of the shipments of not coming in as quickly as possible. There's also certain issues in terms of customs on both sides of getting things in and out of different places has proven to be a lot more difficult. And there's obviously with the chipsets and so on, getting certain components out of certain suppliers has been a lot more difficult uh, than we anticipated because things are simply not, the components that are required to get the parts built are not coming to the suppliers and therefore they're not able to get the components components down to us. It has created a fair bit of um, angst so far. We've certainly lost a number of months in terms of what we'd hoped for in some bits and pieces. We've got a lot of the bits and pieces have come through, but there's still some more that are coming. We're pretty much on top of that now. It's been something that we've had to work through and it just means we have to be a lot more careful in terms of how we plan the processing of vehicles. Um, we do have to allow a lot longer in terms of getting the parts for the vehicles in, that's clear. Um, but we think once we've got that sort of sorted out, we hope that it's not going to be a major long-term problem as time goes on. Brendan, where do you see the price of hydrogen going? You know, the um, at the moment, obviously, if you were to refuel a hydrogen-powered vehicle, it would cost a lot less than it would do filling up your petrol 
Well, of course, that needs the, um, the, the, the green hydrogen production to sort of be at its peak um, for, for that to get there. At the moment, that's still something that's yet to come in Australia. There's a lot of projects that are underway, which will be going live very shortly. But until those projects are really up and running, there is certainly a cost factor within hydrogen. So at the moment, it is a little bit higher. What we are seeing, though, is with a number of projects that we've worked with, that the cost that they're looking at hitting the market at is quite good. And as, as you mentioned, it will start to be a lot cheaper than petrol prices. So we see that as being a good thing, but there's a bit of time that's required before these green hydrogen projects really take off and really start to hit the road and do things properly. So that, that requires a little bit of time until they're ready. So you are working towards an IPO. I sort of alluded to that at the start of our conversation, Brendan. What's the timing on that? When do you think that will happen? Yeah, that's something that we're still looking at working at in a reasonably short time frame. At the moment, we're probably seeing that sometime in the first half of next year. Um, we're, we're seeing that probably being undertaken overseas. We see that as probably being a better place for us to raise money at the moment. We obviously have to look at that. But it looks like we'll be going for, for a listing, which will be in about the first half of next year in terms of what we're planning. When you say overseas, which market are you looking at? Are you looking at the US or elsewhere? Well, we're looking at the US, we're looking at the UK and, and a couple of other markets around Europe are potentially interesting. But in, in principle, we're focused on the US and the UK market as a potential locations. Do you see an ASX listing in the future? Um, it's possible that we'll relist on the ASX that will come up as a result of what we do with the um, global listing. Okay. All right. Brendan, it's always such a pleasure to, to chat to you. You're doing some really exciting stuff and I look forward to catching up again in the not too distant future. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks very much, Ariel. Take care. And that wraps it up for this edition of Stock Insiders with me, Ariel Morrison. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Catch you next time. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.